The world's population has grown to 8 billion people. As a society, how we keep up with the increasing need for electricity while addressing our climate goals is a growing challenge. Renewable energies like wind and solar are part of the solution, but we also need full-time sources of clean power when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. That's where existing and advanced nuclear energy comes in. Nuclear is clean air energy, and it's reliable and available 24-7. Plus, nuclear energy generates thousands of times more power using a fraction of the land that wind and solar would need. Energy Northwest is proud to provide clean, abundant, and reliable energy to help meet our growing needs. Learn more about nuclear energy and its full potential at energy-northwest.com. That's energy-northwest.com. Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, Energy West listeners. This is Jason Ford, the editor of California Energy Markets. Flying solo this week, my colleague Dan Ketchpole is on vacation, but I'll be here bringing you the latest in energy headlines from the West and California. I just returned from Washington, D.C. I was attending the NARUC conference. That's National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners. I talked a little bit about it last week, but have some more details in my interview with former uh, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission Chairman Richard Glick. He had some interesting things to say about California. I'll get into that in a minute. Also, uh, we'll be talking about another FERC story. FERC approves the Western Resource Adequacy Program. Also, be talking about the California Energy Commission awarding nearly $31 million for zero-emission cars and trucks and $8 million for chargers. And finally, we'll be talking about uh, Pacific Gas and Electric and Southern California Edison facing some criminal civil actions for their role in the Zog and Fairview fires. So just returned from Washington, D.C. I was formerly based there. It's been a few years. Before I said it's been four years, it's actually six years. Um, Four years ago, I did visit nearby Virginia where I actually grew up. Uh, It was a really good conference in NARIC this year, many panels. Uh, The energy secretary spoke. I did discuss that a little bit last week. Some observations on Washington, D.C. I was able to meet up some with a couple of my uh, colleagues, former colleagues, Valerie Jackson. Uh, so a shout out to Valerie, who we also call Valkyrie, and Tom Tiernan. So had a good time with that. I did notice some things about D.C. For instance, the traffic was a lot less than uh, when I was previously there. We know why that happened. That's COVID. A lot of people working from home. And yeah, just uh, some kind of changes around the city. I see the Carnegie Library is now an Apple store. We were across the street at the Renaissance Hotel. But uh, speaking a little bit more about my interview with Richard Glick in a few more minutes. First, uh, our headline from California Energy Markets and Clearing Up this week was a story by Dan Catchpole. FERC approves Western Resource Adequacy Program. FERC unanimously approved uh, the the RAP, as we call it, um, which is a project of the Western Power Pool. That was a February 10th order from FERC. This regional organization is a step forward for the West, FERC members said in their order. Uh, here's a quote. Through increased coordination, we find that the RAP has the potential to enhance resource adequacy planning, provide for the benchmarking of resource adequacy standards, 
and more effectively encourage the use of Western regional resource diversity compared to the status quo, unquote. This program, FERC said, will provide a valuable framework to maximize the benefits of existing resource diversity in the Western interconnection and provides a useful last resort option for participants who are facing a sudden capacity shortfall. That's according to the FERC order. The RAP is designed to serve as a buffer against projected capacity shortfalls in the West, something we've been covering here at News Data, CEM, and Clearing Up. 18 utilities and other energy entities are formally committed to joining the program's binding phase. Three more are expected to join in the next month. That's according to uh, WPP President and CEO Sarah Edmonds. FERC approved the RAPT as it was proposed. It has two key components, one being a forward sharing program and a real-time operations program. In the forward sharing program, our participant must demonstrate several months ahead of the summer and winter that it has enough resource and transmission capacity to serve its peak load and its share of the RAP's collective planning reserve margin. In the real-time operations program, participants are asked during critical peak periods to hold surplus capacity that can be used by any RAP participant who's which is unable to meet its loads. In that situation, the RAP will direct an entity with the surplus to make that capacity be capacity available to the participant who has a sh- capacity shortfall. RAP's price setting mechanism sets the price above the market right at either the Mid-Columbia or Palo Verde hub. This price is meant to be high enough to encourage participants to turn to the markets first, but not so high that it finally punishes, financially punishes participants that call on RAP for surplus capacity. Again, that's coverage from uh, my colleague Dan Catchpole in the story that ran in Clearing Up and also California Energy Markets. So back to Nehruk, I had a good time in D.C. I was able to uh, get a few minutes with Mr. Glick, who was former chairman of the commission. He'd been on the commission for a little more than five years. He was chairman in 2021 and 2022. And I wanted to talk to him about California. There's been a lot of developments in California during that time. He joined in November 2017 when he was appointed by President Donald Trump. But Mr. Glick is a Democrat or has that affiliation. He's a former general counselor for the U.S. Senate Democrats. And he uh, served until January 2023. So I just kind of reviewed what had happened in California during that time. Of course, in 2018, we had the campfire, which uh, ripped through the town of Paradise caused by a PG&E power line, killing 84 people and helping push PG&E into its second bankruptcy in about 20 years. 2019, PG&E began controversial public safety power shutoffs. They're not the only utility to do this, but they do have a large service area. It did affect me in particular. I did write about that experience. In August 2020, we had our first rolling outages since the 2000-2001 Western energy crisis. And then over the past couple of years, the story has been high rates and bills spiking upward. And then California narrowly avoided rolling outages again in September 2022. So I don't want to be too negative about California, although the state has definitely faced its challenges. I asked Mr. Glick about it. He said he's still optimistic about California. He noted that the state has added significant amounts of energy storage and demand response saying they will play, quote, a huge role in keeping the lights on. Here's a quote from Mr. Glick. I don't think California is going back. He's speaking of the state's renewables and decarbonization strategies. 
He said, given that situation, how do you make sure the grid is reliable as possible? I asked Glick if he never reached a point where he thought the commission should intervene in California. There was discussion about this at FERC. For example, September 2021, when FERC approved California's request to install backup natural gas power generators to meet power demand. This is after, you know, widespread retirement of natural gas plants on the grid. At that time, FERC member James Stanley had asked the commission to launch an investigation in California. He was voted down for one by Glick and the other members. Mr. Glick said he didn't think an investigation was the appropriate mechanism for that. Quote, obviously, FERC keeps an eye on California. There's lots of dialogue between the ISO and FERC at all times, Mr. Glick said. He said, I think it would have sent a bad signal for FERC to come in and swoop in and oppose what it's done to PJM in California. He was referring to recent changes to the PJM interconnection capacity market that FERC recently approved. Mr. Glick said, I think the best way we handled it was to say you've got to work it out. He means California, but we're watching you. He also talked about Diablo Canyon. Uh, The decision to retire that plant was reversed. He said there's a timing issue with retirement of these plants, even though these plants are going to retire. Is this really the right time given all the issues? So I had a good talk with Mr. Glick. He's always a very uh, humble, friendly guy to speak with. He says he's not sure what his future plans are. We wish him the best. And he mentioned he is a former or possibly current reader of clearing up. He does have a background in the West. In other news, California Energy Commission awards nearly $31 million for zero emission cars and trucks, $8 million for chargers. This is reporting from CEMs and Ernst. These grants are totaling more than $30 million and will help to put zero emission cars and truck models on the market, new models on the market, as well as dozens of new charging stations and hubs throughout California. The bulk of the grants, about $31 million, were awarded at the CEC's February 15th business meeting. They will fund manufacture of zero emission cars and trucks through the Clean Transportation Program's Zero Emission Transportation Manufacturing Initiative. And then more than 8 million will fund zero emission vehicle chargers through California through uh, the Rural Electric Vehicle Charging Initiative. I do live in a rural area myself. I'm seeing more chargers coming, but until we have you know the more prevalent charging infrastructure, it's gonna to be tough to electrified transportation out in these areas. There's also a program targeting charging access for reliable on-demand transportation services. Aptera Motors was awarded $22 million to install vehicle production equipment at existing facilities in Carlsbad and Vista for the production of a three-wheeled, two-passenger on-road vehicle. Really cool-looking vehicle. We do have a picture of it on the newsdata.com website with our story here. Um, this is a solar electric vehicle. It's a it's a three wheel vehicle. Vehicle, as I said, very futuristic looking, and can reach speeds of 110 miles an hour. Drives like a real vehicle, according to Pablo Ucar, who's vice president of production and procurement for Aptera. And then they say the three wheels are more efficient than four wheels. The vehicle will come in four range mile models from 250 miles to 1,000 miles. The company will start to manufacture and sell the 400-mile range car first because it fits the middle gap. That's according to the company. Also, Symbio North America was awarded more than $9 million to expand its facility in Poay and build a new facility in Temecula for production of fuel cell-powered long-haul heavy-duty Class 8 trucks. We'll have a combined maximum production capacity of 250 trucks and 250 to 300 fuel cell power systems 
Hydrogen fuel cells provide, quote, fast fueling and long range and payload capacity. That's according to general manager for Symbio, Rob Delcor. And the trucks can operate in a route that's very demanding going from Southern California to Northern California through the grapevine with more of a regional haul route where you'll see higher average speeds. That's according to those officials. Finally, some reporting from Abigail Sawyer in CEM, uh, PG&E and SCE facing criminal civil actions for their role in the Zog and Fairview fires. PG&E on February 15th was arraigned in Shasta County Superior Court on multiple felony and misdemeanor charges related to the September 2020 Zog fire, which burned more than 56,000 acres, destroyed more than 204 structures in Shasta and Tahama counties. That fire also tragically killed four people and injured one person. PG&E, which was fined $155.4 million by the California Public Utilities Commission in September for its role in the fire, pleaded not guilty to the criminal charges. PG&E spokesman, um, what is his name? Sorry, I'm missing his name, Mr. Noonan. Uh, as we stated previously, we accept the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection's determination that a tree falling into our power line caused the 2020 Zog fire. However, we believe PG&E did not commit any crimes and that the conduct of our coworkers and contractors reflects good faith judgment by qualified officials. That's James Noonan. His his name escaped me for a minute. I apologize there. Also, the Riverside County City of Hemet on February 6th filed suit in Los Angeles Superior Court against Southern California Edison seeking damages to the utilities for the utilities role in the Fairview fire, which started on September 5th, 2022 Fairview fire was caused by a 12 KV distribution line on SCE Sprague circuit, which ignited dry brush burned to more than 28,000 acres caused two fatalities and three injuries and contributed to extent extensive property damage. Fire was finally quelled by rains from Tropical Storm K that began falling on September 9th, but the substantial precipitation in the burn scar uh, led to mudslides. So, yes, one, one thing that we deal with in California when the fires happen, it destroys the vegetation, which has been holding the soil together. So these tragedies are often compounded by mudslides in fire burn areas. Just one natural kind of disaster that we deal with in California, including earthquakes. Uh, and right now we're looking at some pretty heavy snowstorms. Not to complain. I love the Golden State. That's about it from uh, Energy West this week. You can see more of our content on newsdata.com. CEM is on Twitter at CEM News Data, And I'm also on Twitter at Fordney Energy. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you back here again next week.